My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us. My guest today is Owen O'Sullivan. Owen is a singer, a composer, a teacher, and he lives the belief that art has the power to awaken the most dynamic and creative aspects of ourselves in the world, regardless of whether or not we identify as quote unquote artists. He's worked with some of the the greatest artists in the world, such as uh, director Steven Spielberg, actor Russell Crowe, the violinist Nigel Kennedy, the chieftains, the poet David White. And with his brother and his his amazing brother and his amazing mother, uh, Michal and Noreen, he co-founded the Dov Imal, which is Irish for the Edge School or the Edge Academy, rooted in an ancient tradition of hedge schooling that emerged under the brutal repression of, of British rule in Ireland, which outlawed education for more than 90% of the Irish population at the time. And he brings uh, just a wonderful spirit of inquiry and experience and creativity and poetry and music and history and storytelling. Uh, I'm, I've just actually finished recording the conversation and my body is still buzzing with joy and playfulness. Today in our conversation, we cover uh, a wonderful range of territory. And at the heart of the territory is this invitation to make contact with ourselves and our origins and with our unassailable place in the world, even when, maybe especially when we feel isolated and lonely and alone and alienated, to recognize that there is a home to come back to. And Owen brings that to life in such a beautiful, exploratory, integrative way, drawing on educational best practices and history and and music and poetry and bringing and weaving it together into a gorgeous tapestry. And so when we begin to the conversation, we're actually begin right away with one of uh, Owen's songs. So let's get settled in. (sighs) And hear what Owen has for us. Okay. Owen, why don't you take us into the Wonder Dome with some music? Mm -hmm. 
will arise and go now and go to Inish free and a small cabin built there of clay and wattles made nine bean rows will I have there and a hive for the honey bee and live alone in the bee loud glade in the bee loud glade I will have some peace there For peace comes dropping slow Slow like the veils in the morning To where the cricket sings There midnight's all a glimmer And noon a purple glow and evenings filled with the linnet's wings With the linnet's wings With the linnet's And go now for always night and day. I hear lake water lapping in low sounds by the shores. When I'm on the I hear it in the deep heart's call In the deep heart's core In the deep heart's Excuse my mm. profanity, but Jesus. Oh, no, but... <laughs> wow. Mm. Mm. 
Hmm. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. Great to be here beneath the Wonder Dome. Yeah, it's great to have you in oh. here, illuminating it with uh, your presence and your music. That was really special. Thanks for what's, the invitation. Yeah, yeah, what's that song called? That is a poem by the Irish poet William Butler Yeats, mm. uh, written about a hundred years ago, when he was a very young man, and he was walking the streets of London, which at the time was the the center of the greatest empire known to man, and he was walking the streets of London, and. Uh, suddenly he heard a little sound of water and the sound of water in the midst of this busy street of Oxford Street in London, the sound of water brought him back to his childhood and brought him back to this lake and uh, the lake, the lake uh, and to a little island inside in this lake and the island he called the Lake Isle of Inish Free. Inish is the Irish language word for an island, Inish Free. Mm. And he had this revelation, this instantaneous moment of transformation in the center, the very, um, the very core of this mercantile empire. Suddenly he had this total uh, transformation to the real core, the deep hearts core, mm. which he could metaphorically call the Lake Isle of Inishfree. So that's a place... Um, I like to sing that at the start of things to invite us to come to that center of ourselves, that deep heart's core within us, and to share this little time together on this island um, mm -hmm. where we can where we can be present right now. And it comes through listening. You see, the revelation comes through the sense of the aural, the aural sense. You hear it in the deep heart's core. Mm. He hears the lake water lapping in yes. those sounds by the shore. <laughs> and when I'm on the pavement, when I'm on the, the, the walkways or on the pavement's grey, I hear it. I hear it in the deep heart's core. So you're hearing this now and anyone else is listening to this now is also hearing it in the deep heart's core. Yeah. Mm. Mm. There was a, the moment in the song where where you sang that line, I hear the lake water lapping and the low sounds by the shore. And I'm not sure why, but up until that point, uh, it hadn't struck me that the, that he wasn't at the Island, you know, that, that in a way, the story you've just provided help sort of brought that to life for me. There is some place he could always hear. I can always hear the lake waters lapping the low sounds by the shore. And I was like, Oh, he's not actually at this place right now, but he's at it. He's in it or he's with it. And then, and then that really came home potently when you evoked the deep hearts core. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. And, and it makes me wonder, or it makes me sit and wonder around this question of what is it that we carry inside us? Uh, even when we find ourselves far from home, something about homecoming in that song or being at home in that song. Is that, does that resonate with you? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and of course, Yeats is a genius when it comes to metaphor and symbolism. And um, so the, the, the invitation, that's what, that's one of his most famous poems. And um, what he's saying is, 
yeah, that each one of us in our lives, the the human story is one of we're very unusual animals. We're very unusual animals that we can feel not at home in the world. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So I don't I don't know. I've never been able to actually ask the question to another mammal. You know, do do you feel as isolated as, as humans can? But I would imagine that the answer is they wouldn't know what you're talking about. Mm. And mm. <laughs> I think that's why we love to look at animals. Mm. It's because you just see pure essence when you watch an animal move. It's just itself. There's nothing else in it. And it's transfixing. It's totally beguiling. And then you look at a poor old human, you know, shivering and <laughs> fumbling and all awkward and trying to be cool. And <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and we're so we're, we're, we're pathetic in that way. And and um, because for some reason, because of this, uh, this marvelous ability to behold the world, um, that idea of an anthropod that we can stand upright. Mm. The, the anthropod is one who stands upright. You know, we've, we're mammals who have come up off of our all fours. And we've and we've come upright. And of course, what you do when you come upright is you raise your hands and you look upward to the heavens Mm. and you look up to the sky. And that's really where the magic happens as as above. So below and as Mm. without. So within and we become conscious, Mm. we become conscious and we see that the world is a mirror to ourselves and that we are part of this. And but the there is a price to pay for that. Mm. There's a price to pay for that gift. And the price that we pay for that gift is a sense of, ah, I'm no longer 100%. Because I'm aware, I'm no longer 100% Mm. present, you know? Mm. And Mm. so that's the power, of course, of mindfulness and meditation is we're trying so desperately to return back to that moment of pure presence. Mm. Mm. And so, so anyway, all that to say, that's what Yates is talking about. He's talking about the sense of alienation that we all feel as part of the human story. Um, the moment we're born, the the umbilical cord being caught, you know, from our mother and uh, the, the, the umbilical cord. We look down at our navel then too, um, having having stood up on our two hind legs to look at the heavens. The next thing we do is we look down and we can see that navel, the place where we came from mm. and the place mm. into which we were nourished by Mother Earth, you see. And that is our severed connection to the present. And the ancient Greeks knew this very um, explicitly in their story of the Oracle at Delphi. Yes. And the Oracle at Delphi, uh, the Oracle, an Oracle is a person that you would go to in ancient, in, in, in the classical world when you had a deep existential crisis in your life. And you would go out on a pilgrimage to the Oracle to give an offering, to give a sacrifice to the Oracle. And in return, the Oracle would give you a very cryptic answer to your question. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so this was part of the part of the ancient world. This was part of the culture that this is what you did at these times of great crisis in your life when you were feeling this sense of great alienation and isolation and detachment from the world off you go to the oracle and the most famous of the greek oracles was the oracle at delphi 
And the oracle at Delphi resided in what was known in Greek mythology as the omphalos of the world, the omphalos. And the omphalos is the Greek word for the belly button, the navel. Mm, mm, the navel. So mm. in order to find the answer to the next um, threshold of your life, you had to return. You had to take your eyes off the heavens and look down to your navel, to the place um, where you were connected physically, uh, mm. viscerally, mm. <laughs> Uh, to mother, to, to the great mm. mother goddess, mm. to, 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 to the mother energy. So that's where you go when you're feeling these, um, the, the, that sense of isolation. And um, of course, Yeats talks about the listening, the sense of hearing, of course, is, very, the, the, is the feminine receptive sense as opposed to the masculine penetrative sense of the visual. That listening is the way in back toward the navel mm. of yourself. Mm. So you have to go and listen. And as you cross the threshold of the Oracle at Delphi, above the doorway was written the, the great maxim, know thyself, know thyself. So you've come all this way. Uh, on this pilgrimage and you're about to get to, you know, visit, you're about to sit on Santa Claus's lap you know? <laughs> and over the doorway, just before you're about to ask the question, it says to you, actually, I'm not going to answer that question mm. for you at all mm. because it's only you that knows the answer to that question. And it's only the you that, um, it's the you that doesn't that isn't quite yet here yet. It's your future self. Mm. It's your future self. So you're going to know, know yourself. And, and of course, there's there, there's two meanings to that. To know yourself is uh, the meaning of um, of that there is a self that I must go and actively know. But then there's also that other meaning that we have in English is I might say to you, Andy, Andy, sure, you know yourself how it is. You know? <laughs> Um, so only you can know yourself. You only you can know yourself. So nobody else can tell you um, what it is. So in order to cure that sense of isolation, um, we just have to open our ears and be receptive to that grounding, beautiful element of water and of and of earth and of listening. And through that, the self is revealed eventually. Yeah. So that's what all that poem means to me. It's that deep heart's core, as I, yeah. I, finding that space. Yeah. Oh, Owen, you've just, you've plucked so many strings for me. I have to kind of slow down for a moment and, and listen for which one I want to play back to you. <laughs> There's a few strings. I think that's it. It's a sign of my distracted mind. No, my, no, it felt uh, <laughs> it felt really resonant with this question of what it is to come home or find home or be at home in a world that, and this is one of the strings you plucked, like this, this so-called greatest empire of humankind is, is in fact a place uh, that was deeply brutal and dehumanizing for many humans, many of whom who had helped to build it, whether they chose to or not. And for a sensitive, brilliant, thoughtful artist like Yeats to be in this heart of that and go, mm -hmm. and, I, mm -hmm. and now I'm projecting, but I could imagine a mm -hmm. part of him going like, oh, this, this is, this is the pinnacle of, of our so-called greatness. No, I, I am, I'm going to Inish free and, and to like, 
realized that that was the doorway to walk through in the, in the heart of this place that perhaps in some ways mm-hmm. is a, is a peak expression of how far we can move ourselves away from the world. When we get that wonderful distance, that is both a kind of blessing and a curse that you described that with the standing up and getting the distance. So that's one string that you plucked for me. And, mm-hmm. and what I'm in touch with though, as the kind of, balance to that or the other pole is the way in which, uh, and I can only speak for myself, although I sense this poem and the song you wrote is a deep expression of this. There's a way in which we can come home that, that, that another animal, like also we could say like, you know, you said like, if you could talk to an animal, do you know what it feels like to be separated and isolated? What are you talking about? But also, do you know what it feels like to come home? What are you talking about? And so there is this like gift here of there's a way where we can arrive wholeheartedly awake to the mystery. And that, that for me at least is so nourishing when I'm feeling disconnected They remember that there is a special gift and the distance is something we can cross and arrive back into. I yes, wonder how that so, lands with you. Well, yeah, there's two, there's two big things there. Yeah. Well, one is the, that I love how you go to that sort of pragmatic image of what a young Yeats was experiencing there in London. And of course, at the time, as he was walking around London, he was a subject of the British Empire himself. And Dublin, the capital of Ireland, was the second city of the empire after Mm. London, you know. Mm. And uh, so Ireland was totally enmeshed within that, uh, that global empire. Mm. At the time, mm. there was no separate identity and it had been for hundreds and hundreds of years um, back, especially um, s- since the Elizabethan plantations of Ireland around the 1500s. So so Ireland was a was a was was British, you know, <laughs> unequivocally. It's absolutely British. And um, Yeats is walking around the street of London and he has this. Uh, it, it's it's no coincidence, of course, that it's called Inish Free. And there's a. Uh, that word of freedom, you know, yes. is also in there. And Yeats is an extraordinary character because he was one of the most outspoken and politically incorrect and controversial poets that I've ever come across. He was a devil, like, and uh, he never kept his mouth shut. He would have been cancelled <laughs> 20 times over today. He didn't give, he didn't care less, you know. And uh, he was so self-assured of his own sense of artistry and the importance of his artistry. And a big part of his um, sense of being in the world, his sense of fate and destiny, was that he and his um, his poetic associates at the time were actually bringing into being an independent Ireland. They were creating an incantation, a magic spell almost, in order to revive this sense of Irish national identity. Mm. And it was a very deliberate um, uh, venture. This was a very well-planned, well-articulated manoeuvre that him and a whole bunch of artists were doing at the time. And people who were 
reviving ancient Irish culture. The Irish language was being revived. Irish games and sports were being revived at the time. There was a whole reorganisation, a sense of new identity within Ireland was being um, fueled and fanned and brought back to life. And Yeats was at the forefront of this uh, very, very explicitly. And he would be interviewed in the national media, there would be letters in the in the national papers. This was no kind of shrinking violet poet hand wringing in their ivory tower. He was a warrior, you know, Mm. and he set up um, the Irish National Theatre, an Irish National Theatre, which would be like. Uh, be like setting up like a Texas national theater. It, it's success, secession. It was treasonous. Mm. It was, you were laying your life on the line. This wasn't some artistic venture. Mm. This was an absolute political dart that was being shot at the heart of the British empire. You know, mm. I mean, viciously dangerous stuff. It's mm. hard to express how dangerous it is because 120 years later, we're like, Oh, Yates, he was a lovely little old man. He wasn't a lovely little old man. He was an absolute vicious. He was a terrorist. You know, he was um, a terrorist ideologue from certain perspectives. Certain people in London yeah. would have seen him as, as a problem. Yeah. And um, but he he himself was driven by the sense of destiny and his own sense of artistry, his own connection to his sense of spirituality was vital too. And so. Um, Yeah, they set up a national theatre and it was on this stage that the Irish spirit was going to be revived Mm. through, you know, theatre as ritual, like a ritual incantation was a magic uh, spell was going to be called in and this spirit of Ireland was going to be revived. Mm. Mm. And you could say they did it. Yeah, you could say it came to pass and um Yeats went on, he he went on to see Ireland gain its independence from Britain and was appointed a senator in the upper house in Ireland. So he was actually a politician. You know, he was an a active um, leader in, in politics, uh, which people forget, actually, sometimes that he was a state, a, a national senator. Yeah, yeah I, I did not um, know that. Yeah, it's, really it's amazing to say it. Yeah. And, uh, and again, he wasn't some shy retiring kind of, you know, guy he 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 would he would make his voice heard and he was very very vociferous and polemic and he he got out there he loved a good debate he didn't care at all and um um and then but of course he saw his heart he had his heart broken too mm. because the type of ireland that he and his compatriots wanted to see come to pass uh, a very pale shadow of that actually mm. actually came into being mm. which is of course the story really of so much of of any human endeavor we mm. have this utopian mm. naivety that actually gets us out we wouldn't get out of bed in the morning if we knew where we were going to end up. <laughs> that gets us out of bed in the morning and gets us working and but the what what comes to pass very often um doesn't live up to that utopian urge mm. And so he wrote, and of course he was writing poetry, poetry, poetry throughout this, the most heartbreaking, beautiful, perfect poetry that is as fresh today as it was, you know, 100, 120 years ago. And um, so he has this poetry of heartbreak toward the end of his life as well, too, which is just fascinating. So he he's an amazing character and so present to so much, I think, of how 
uh, a, a, a similar person may feel today in our own world. Yeah. Um, if there's any sensitive souls out there who may be picking up on uh, an alienation in our in our society, in our empire, mm-hmm. um, the, Yeats is a very interesting character from mm-hmm. that perspective, a role model for us in in many respects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, not not in all respects now, but <laughs> yes, yes. Thanks for naming that. I'm yeah, struck. Yeah. I'm struck at least in your in your depiction of him, which for me, I'm take, there's a lot of newness there, but the sort of the sort of powerful contrasts of sort of deep, like there's there is the in your description of him, there is him like gazing to the sky, this utopia that we can summon, and also like a look to the navel, this sort of like what's in in me that I can't not put out in the world in, in the form of poetry or, or polemicism and, and politics. So that's really, mm. really potent characterization. And mm. I wonder, do you have, do you happen to have one, another one of his poems in you or I near, do, Ashra, nearby? I've loads of them. I've loads of them. Is, the is there one that might, one? might uh, resonate but, right now? Well, again, I just love that, like that real, the uh, the eights I love the most was the the mystical kind of spiritual spooky eights, and yeah. he was so connected to spiritualism and communing with the other world, and uh, which which for me is I I actually see that as a metaphor. I see that as a metaphor of um, uh, you know, spiritualism is connecting with the invisible sense of ourselves, with our imagination, the world mm-hmm. of our imagination, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. as I suppose as a as an artist, as a creative person, I I, I really revel in the world of the imagination as a as the it's it's our century our sentinel it's where we want to see it's like Mm, us looking mm, over the horizon mm, and mm. then setting a course for it so i think that that's that's the type of yates i love that he had this sort of ability to see into the future and this is a lovely little simple poem about that uh it's a poem um that I saw Brother David Stendhal Rast. You familiar with Brother David? Yes. Rush? Brother yes. David came to Ireland with Oof. me and my family on the tour that we lead there, and a, a no. great friend. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's nice. Oh, come on now. Oh, we could go. Yeah, we could maybe get totally diverged and ask gonna, you what that was like. I will. I I'll tell you. I'll tell you. <laughs> and then, and then, because it's all about this poem. This is this is this is the total frame for this poem for me. So this friend is Tom Driscoll. Um, brought, contacted us. And we, we met Tom through, through the work of David White. And so Tom reaches out and he says, I'm thinking of bringing in a good old friend of mine on, on your tour to Ireland. And so we, we run this experience for a week with, with my mother and yeah. my brother. And uh, we spend a week together. And so Tom emails us and said, I'm thinking of bringing in an old friend from, from Germany. And, uh, you know, he's getting on a bit in years and would he be up for the walks, you know, that you go on. And this this is on the west of Ireland, like overlooking the North Atlantic, you know, so the North Atlantic winds come in and some of the walks are pretty intense. But so we said to Tom, look, he'll be fine. Whatever happens, you know, we can adjust. We can have a little group that can do an easier walk or whatever. That's no problem. So anyway, we learned that this friend was Brother David Stendelrust. And for those who don't know who Brother David is, he's an absolute legend in his 80s now. And for years, he has been this wonderful spiritual elder and guru um, from the Roman Catholic tradition. He's a Benedictine monk. And 
uh, he's really taught about the the spiritual power, the spiritual transformative power of gratefulness mm-hmm. and of of um, the simple power of gratefulness, of giving thanks, actually. And when you read his work, you see just that very simple um, little energy that you feel when you say, you know, I'm grateful to be here right now. I actually, my life isn't as bad as I, you know, it's not as bad. I have a roof over my head. You know, there, I do have one or two friends who don't think I'm terrible. You know, um, <laughs> things aren't so bad. And when you allow that little water of gratefulness into the parched soil of your isolation sometimes, then extraordinary things grow. And so Brother David's work, he's, if you start reading him, you can't help it. You suddenly start to dip into that well of, of, of gratefulness. So he's a, he's an absolute legend for that. And he's been sharing that and teaching that for decades. So he ends up, we pick him up in Shannon airport and drive him, drive him down. And of course he and my mother get on like a house on fire because he's a great theologian. And my mother is a PhD in theology. And so they're God crazy, you know, but they, they spend the whole week talking about God and we, we're constantly, you know, shadowing Brother David, making sure he doesn't get whipped up by the North Atlantic wind and taken out to sea. You know? <laughs> and he he insists on doing every single walk with us, you know, going wow. up every, he won't sit in the van and wait. He, he, he has to go out. So there was one time he was going up and we were up on this ridge overlooking the ocean and <laughs> the wind is coming in and we're all trying to like block the wind from taking Brother David. <laughs> oh it was... <laughs> It was absolutely nerve wracking, but on the very end, (laughs) this can't be the walk where Brother David Sindel Rask goes. goes. We were like blocking the wind with our bodies trying to. Uh, Yeah, it was it was that bad. And um, but on the last day, everyone is sort of sharing and and Nori, my mother, invites Brother David to stand up. He was such a gentle and retiring person. He. So, but my mother insisted that he might share something with the group. So he stood up and he recited this Yeats poem. Uh. It's very, very simple Yeats poem. And it was actually his birthday at the time too. And um, on that day, so he recited this poem and it's, um, it's called Vacillation, which is a series of short poems. And this was verse four of that series, Vacillation. And so this was the poem that David chose to recite and he had it off by heart. And this was the one he chose to recite to us at the end of of this week together. So Yeats says, my 50th year had come and gone. My 50th year had come and gone. I sat a solitary man in a crowded London shop. An open book, an empty cup on the marble tabletop. While on the shop and street I gazed, my body of a sudden blazed. And for 20 minutes, more or less, it seemed so great my happiness that I was blessed and could bless. I 
I think we'll just have to end the conversation here. Because <laughs> yes, my goodness, isn't it beautiful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there he is again. Yeah. So this must have been at least thirty years later from when the Lake Isle of Inish Free was written. Thirty, 30 years, years yeah. later, and he's back in London. Yeah. yeah. And I love it. While while on the shop and street, I guess my my body. He brings the body now into yes, it. Yes, my body was... of a sudden blaze, and then for twenty minutes, more or less, more or less, <laughs> which you just lose all sense of time. You know, you're leaving the chronological time into this kairos sense of time, this abstract sense of perception of body time. For twenty minutes, more or less, it seemed so great my happiness that I was blessed. And could bless. Uh, so what's going on there? You're just getting out of the way, you see. You're just getting out of the way. And you don't have to be in some cathedral or sitting cross-legged, you know, on top of a mountain somewhere, pretending to be Japanese, you know. You can be, <laughs> you can be sitting right here, right now. You can be whoever you are, sudden, wherever you are, wherever right you are. now. And that is the portal into happiness through just blessedness. And I find for me, I ask, why did Brother David choose that poem? You know, and I believe that for me, that practice of gratefulness, I can do it anywhere. I often do it in the car when I'm driving on my own. And I literally go through the things I'm grateful for. I mean, like very very, very physical things like, you know, I'm grateful for my guitar. Oh, <laughs> I'm grateful yeah. for a, a comfortable car to be driving in. I'm grateful for these. You know, and I, I go through this litany of gratefulness. And I find my whole body mm. calming down mm. and I always go, oh, I should do this all the time. I <laughs> and and I, I, it's that feeling of just calmness, just to think through that feeling of I was blessed and could bless. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing that and for presencing Brother David and that moment on the high cliffs. The mm. sort of terrifying comedy of that whole situation was was quite beautiful. But the the blessing it sounds like he gave you by reciting that piece, and I just feel really really blessed right now that you've passed it on here. And uh, I'm uh, as I name that I'm aware that that something really what I as someone who spends a very modest like amount of time in spaces where uh, there's some sort of recording happening like this. Mm-hmm. I'm aware that you spend quite a fair bit more maybe even than I, than I might. And, and a lot of your work, as I understand it is, is work of helping people or inviting people to come to these edges in their life or maybe these centers in their life where um, they can make contact with the kind of energy and blessing that that poem embodied. And, uh, and you actually even have started a, a, an edge Academy. Uh, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but I want to practice it. Cause I want to be able to say, right. A dove email. Lovely. Right? Dove email. Lovely. Dove email, which means essentially a, a, an edge school or a, an edge Academy. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I had that, that tour I just mentioned to where we bring people to Ireland. Um, I'd been doing that only since um, 
for three years before before the pandemic. So like from 2017, 18 and 19. And um, I'd often thought it would be cool if, you know, we take 30 people at a time. I was like, if we had this like online experience beforehand and afterwards like a little mm. reunion and stuff and i'd even i'd even used zoom before the pandemic and everything so i was even thinking about zoom and um you know or setting people little assignments or so that they could meet each other before they met in yeah. person and so i had all these ideas and but you know these things that get on your to-do list and you'll never get around to them. I mean, never. Like, so. Yeah, I have so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> so that was on my list was like, you know, some kind of online thing. But I was only thinking for the people we brought to Ireland. And then, of course, the pandemic hit and the lockdown hit. And I, I, I make my home here in Western New York, outside of the city of Buffalo. And my mother and brother live in Ireland. Mm. And I used to just adore the the privilege of being able to travel back to Ireland very regularly throughout the year um, uh, while while making my home in Western New York, which is my wife's my wife's home. And then when the pandemic and the lockdowns came, I recognized very quickly that that was being shut down and it mm. caused me great anxiety, great anxiety and, and physical pain, actually, too. I, I developed terrible back pain. During this period, yeah, and uh, all all around the feelings of restriction and and tightness, you know, and being restricted and debilitated, you know, and um, so I naturally just ran toward the possibility of connecting with my family and with the work um, online. And one of the first things we did was I I didn't know how to live stream. Onto, I, I wanted to like live stream onto Facebook because we, you know, we developed a nice, a small but mighty audience of people yeah. over yeah. the years. So I was like, okay, how can we like broadcast on Facebook live? And this was like two years ago. None of us knew how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I know, I'll get my mom on a iPad, right, on a music stand, and I put her here, and my brother on a laptop on like a stack of coffee tables beside me. <laughs> and then I was in the middle and I, I was able to do the Facebook live, you see? Yes. So I went live with my mom on an iPad and my brother on the laptop. That is hysterical <laughs> was, and so creative. It was so cool. And back then, of course, if you did anything live online, everyone showed up for it because um, everyone was a captive audience. We were all stuck in our homes and there were very few people doing things at the time. So, we got hundreds of people watching and responding. The response was amazing. It was so nice and so uplifting. Mm. And so that just led one thing after another. I then discovered, you know, how to live stream using Zoom and all this. And um, and then we we started to offer, uh, th those were all just free of charge. You know, we were just doing live streaming and then um, people really wanted a, a deeper experience. Mm. So we offered mm. a, a course where, where, where there would be a, you would get a link to a private Zoom meeting with us. Mm. And we would spend, you know, initially just a two hour session. And then we decided to do a two day thing. And, um, and then that slowly formed into this online school, which we called the, the Hedge School.
or the, the edge school. In the Irish language, Dov Immel means an academy of the edge. Mm. But in Irish history, there was this movement in Irish history known as the hedge schools. And the hedge schools existed because during the, the, the most uh, austere, severe uh, times of British rule of Ireland, education was outlawed mm. Mm. Uh, for the peasant people in Ireland for 90 90% of the population were not allowed to go to school. Mm. And mm. the speaking the Irish language was was outlawed and passing on any Irish culture was was totally outlawed. It was um it was treasonous to to do such a thing. So what the Irish did were um these traveling teachers would go around the communities uh undercover and they would start up a hedge school just off the road and the, the lo- locals would send the children with a little coin for the literally by the hedges like yes yes yeah. yes you'd have to go off the beaten track you see and sort of hide in behind the hedge and um the children would bring a little coin for the for the teacher and the teacher would teach them uh, how to read and write um pass on the irish language irish culture history, mythology, and even Greek and Latin culture, too, was very mm. important um, to the to the old Irish, too, you know. And um, so that was the hedge school period. Yeah. In Ireland. And so a lot of what we have today, I mean, I suppose everything of what we have today that has survived from um, Celtic uh, Gaelic culture was passed on uh, in in those contexts, mm. you know, mm. Um, mm. So we felt that our what, what we were doing had that same energy. We were off the beaten track and setting up our shop and uh, inviting people, putting the word out quietly uh, under the radar that we were meeting over here in this little corner of the Internet mm-hmm. and to 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 pass on and to share in this uh, culture that um, people died in order for, for, for these things to be passed on, you know? So that's grown. And, and to this day, we're re uh, what's the word redesigning the whole website. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been very, very special and uh, a little co-community has formed. People are, people keep coming back, you know, mm. and mm. a big part of what we do is, um, we really try to foster that sense of community. So this isn't uh, just us presenting and singing and, you know, talking to you, but we always do a breakout room where we put you with a conversational partner for a good 20 minutes now. Mm. And you'll be put randomly in a room with a conversational partner, having experienced the poetry and the song and the story that you've just experienced. We'll give you a little prompt, a little question to ask. And then we'll say now, you can talk about whatever you actually want, you know, <laughs> and uh, and put you off in room. And now for most people, um, that's a terrifying prospect. I was going to say, I was curious. <laughs> <so yeah. laughs> myself. So you're myself torturing included. your participants now. <laughs> myself included. Yeah. It's like, oh, Jesus. So, but what we discovered is, and what you look, I, I know in my own life, when when you do enter into that, place because i mean it's a self-selected society you know emily dickinson yes. said the soul yes. selects her own society and shuts mm. the door the soul selects her own society and shuts the door. so so you're there you're there with the right people you're in the right company yes. you know you've yes. put yourself yes. there yes 
And then you've experienced, you've soaked up this theme. At the, you know, we have overarching themes specifically around the times of the year. We, we follow the wheel of the year. Mm-hmm. as our overarching mm-hmm. kind of metaphor. And then within that, we present story and song and poetry and a bit of family banter and a bit of fun. And then you send people off and you can't help but make an extraordinary connection with someone. And as we say, you overhear yourself, you overhear yourself saying something that you were meant to say. And people have the most extraordinary experiences because What's different online to the live thing is when you're live with a group, you can't, there's very little feedback from a live audience um, in the sense that, what am I trying to say? So with an online group, there's the chat function and then people are there, they can email afterwards very easily. So we get all of this feedback from people mm. through email and mm. through chat mm. and stuff mm. that you, when you're live, you don't know what's going on in their head a handful of people will come up to you after a show and talk to you and tell you what was going on for them. Mm. But most people will just stand up and leave and you don't really know what was going Mm. on in their head. Mm. But with this group, people are emailing us and telling us their life story and how things have shifted in their whole life and how they're approaching Uh. their whole life differently, finding their voice, forgiving their family. Because of course, people are experiencing a mother and two sons as well too. That's what's also drawing people is it's my brother and I working and learning actually um, from our mother. Ah. And so that instantly creates a certain energy there, you know, a certain resonance. So people are constantly thinking about, you know, your own relationship with your family and what that means. And then all of this art and poetry, especially the ancient inherited stuff that's been passed on, you know, through generations anonymously, um, all that stuff has within it, uh, like it's like a walking pharmacy for the soul, you know, mm. like it has all of the medicine in it for all, all of what ails you. And that's the very reason why it was passed on. Yes. You know, it yes. was passed on because it works. It has a function. And so that's what we've been doing online. And it's been really, really moving. I, I resent it at times because I was raised in the live world, in the world of mm. live experience. Mm. So like mm. all of us, we all, you know, another Zoom, oh, Jesus, you know, um, uh, we can resent this technology um, mm. because, uh, but but then the other side of it is it has allowed this sort of um, entryway into real connection that mm. was not there beforehand. Yeah. Mm. So that's our mm. story with the online stuff. It is ongoing. And our next, our next exploration is on the life of St. Patrick and drawing on the inspiration of the life of St. Patrick. Yeah. St. So that, Patrick was a me. remarkable person based on what, what, what I know of the different histories of his journey. And maybe, maybe we can even presence him a little bit in a moment, but I think what I want to, underline and maybe just hear how you connect to it. There's a sense as I hear you describe the hedge school that um, people are, have some instinct, like there's something special here. I'm willing to commit to multiple experiences in an online setting that in theory should be less, you know, less than what real life is and in live settings. And yet I'm coming back. There's something here. And they make contact with something and they come and they tell you like, 
I've changed my life because I heard this poetry and I talked to my my virtual neighbor and I overheard myself saying something that I, that I suddenly realized was true. There's like a knowing there's like a, you're enabling people to know themselves, to have that moment where they go, oh, that's me. And um, I wonder if you could just maybe speak to that a little bit more. What what is it about what's happening at these edges where you're bringing together music and poetry and family and history and lineage? There's some sort of there's some magic happening there. And I wonder if you maybe we maybe we risk just yeah. sort of like trying to explain a joke. Maybe there's a risk of, of, <laughs> of like ruining the magic as I ask you to. But I just maybe I wonder if you could make contact no, with that here. What's what's going on there? Yeah. What's cool is like, say, four or five months ago, I would have been like trying to explain a joke. But the last few months, we've rededicated ourselves to really asking these questions, mm. because um, what we've been doing is everything that we've been doing for the last two years has been geared to the audience that we already had. Mm. So, you know, with with our mailing list and our social media people. So what we were doing was all of our messaging, our way of describing these experiences was to the people who already knew us, to our fans. So it was kind of like, but what we were noticing was we weren't getting a lot of new people. Um, and we had hoped to at least double the, the, the audience after a year or two, but that wasn't happening. It was mm. just a trickle of new people. So I think that the question was, we had to go back and ask ourselves that question or else see these diminishing returns from our existing audience. We had to redefine how we spoke about this and imagined what was happening, what was really happening to be able to tell someone who doesn't know us at all and who won't get to experience us live in a room. They'll only experience us mm. clicking with this shiny screen. <laughs> mm. Mm. So mm. how can we tell someone who's clicking around on a shining screen, the depth of what we do? So we've been asking ourselves this very question the last few months, and we've gotten answers. And that, that's what, when I said we're kind of redesigning what we're doing. This is for that very reason. So what we've discovered is that people are searching for this work. Like in Yeats's poem there, his 50th year had come and gone. Mm. I sat a solitary man. Okay, so this that is what we would call like our perfect customer <laughs> <laughs> who has hit, um, Yates talks about midlife there, you know, his 50th year. And when we come to these big uh, thresholds in our life, we uh, stand up on our two hind legs and look at the stars and we're lonely. We feel isolated and solitary. And I think that that's the only way, that's the appropriate posture to enter through, to cross these thresholds. Mm. We must mm. actually feel that alienation. I don't know why, mm. <laughs> but the, 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 the system seems to be game this way. The universe d uh, demands of us to be humbled mm. and to mm. be alone mm. and uh, uh, awkward and uh, stumbling over this threshold. If you walk through that threshold confident with your head held high, you're not doing it right. <laughs> and it's, I don't know why it can't be, but it just seems to be the way it's done. So um, uh, birth, of course, is the greatest 
yeah. is the greatest symbol of that, you know, where you're, it's devastating. I mean, it's, it's absolutely devastating. devastating. And I know because we're expecting our first child no. on May 1st. So oh. I'm reading this. Well, I got you just this. in time. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, it's just, the, the everything just gets annihilated. It's unbelievably extraordinary. So, um, so that's how we step across thresholds. So people then search out for help. We need help to go across these, these thresholds, you know? Mm. So that's the type of person who ended up coming to our work. They mm. felt like a great change was happening in their life, either chosen or thrust upon them. And they needed a bit of help. They needed mm. to find a bit of ground to hold on to while they were at the sea, you know, while the ground was shaking underneath their feet. So. Um, that's what this, and, and that's what art does for us mm. is it is this helping hand. It, art is this repository of knowledge, this ancient repository of knowledge, uh, that we can dip into in order to heal ourselves and to bring ourselves over these thresholds. So people would come in on their knees to this work. And mm. we were there as a family, a welcoming, safe space, um, and we'd sing a few songs and read these poems by these very wise people who had gone through these thresholds before. Mm, mm, and just mm. by bringing your body to, it's a virtual space, but you you have to sit down and close the door, you know, and give yourself a bit of privacy. And by sitting down and sharing in this, and then the magic piece is, is those breakout rooms where mm. you do see the face of another person mm. and you see your own story reflected in their story. Mm. And that is the magic that really takes you over and helps you. Mm. Um, so that's what we've seen over and over again. So what we're doing now is really being explicit about that and saying, and you have to be very explicit online. Unfortunately, you can be very nuanced in person because yeah. there's, there's so much happening when two bodies are in a room. But online, you've got to be a bit more direct and upfront. So uh, we're, we're, we're working on that right now, trying to really describe and lay out. It's like, look, if you're going through a tough time, you can come here for a little respite. Mm. And if mm. you open mm. and engage with this, with this, you will hear the lake water lapping, you know, <laughs> and it will be there in your deep heart score. Cause there's a part of ourselves that is eternal and it is precious and it is beautiful and it is untouched and it is within us. Despite the hell that we're going through, there is the flame of the human spirit within you. Mm. And we just need to come down and calm yourself and still yourself and listen to that voice within us and and it happens every time every time yeah mm. beautiful thank you for sharing more about that we have about uh we have maybe 10 minutes left here and i want to make sure we get i really like me selfishly i want to get one more song in so maybe we really only have maybe we really only have Good. if you're up for it if you're oh yeah or a poem or you can choose i'll give you a choice <laughs> but uh I, I'm just in touch with the presence of, of St. Patrick, or at least my mm -hmm. relationship mm -hmm. to that mythic and yet also likely very real person who has had a massive influence on many parts of, of the world that we live in today, maybe more than people realize. And it sounds like you're going to be gathering with in the spirit of him soon. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah. And, the, and, 
in the time we have left, I wonder what's important to you about, about gathering with in invoking his presence in your, in this gathering space. Yeah, Patrick is a phenomenal figure. He's just extraordinary. And so few people have had such an influence on culture, you know, like St. Patrick's Day is celebrated all over the world by all mm. sorts of people. Mm. <laughs> it's absolutely magnificent. And this was a person who walked the earth 1500 years ago. Yeah. So he said one and a half thousand years of this influence. And he says he's more popular today than he ever was. It's, yeah. it's the weirdest story. And he was a historical figure. We know he was a historical figure because he wrote his own autobiography yeah. Yeah. that has been passed on, you know, and it's the real deal. It's the real deal. It's a short little book and you can get it online for free. You know, you can read it online and it is absolutely miraculous. It's just mind blowing <laughs> in his life. Uh, I'll tell you, for one, one of the big shocks of St. Patrick is that he wasn't an Irish man at all. St. Patrick yeah. was from Wales, West England, West Britain, you know, and he was enslaved by Irish pirates who <laughs> raided Wales and kidnapped him. And Patrick was from a very well-to-do family in Roman Britain. It was mm. Roman Britain at the time. Uh, it was part of the Roman Empire. And um, Patrick's family were uh, they. His father was a was a priest. They were from a, like a clerical family. Um, so he was a very well educated, well to do person, and was taken, enslaved, and put to work out on a mountain up in Northern Ireland as a shepherd, looking after sheep on the side of a mountain. And of course, he wouldn't. He didn't speak the Irish language. Mm. Mm. He had to learn that. Um, but what happened is there's an amazing one of the greatest lessons of his life that I think is there. His greatest teaching is this listening, yeah. this power of listening, because one night and, and in the in mythology and in the in the in the in the Bible, in our holy text, very often these voices appear to us in dreams. And so one night, St. Patrick heard a voice in a dream that told him it was the voice of God. And the voice of God told him to go south, to walk down all through the whole island of Ireland. And at the southeast, at the, the southeast of the island is a boat waiting for him to take him home. So up he stood and walked all the way south. And he writes about this himself, you know, and miraculously made his way onto a boat and was brought home. And reunited with his family. I mean, this is this is no this is no under. I mean, he was a slave, yes, who had been kidnapped, sent yes. up into the highlands, yes. and and managed to walk and survive without being either recaptured or uh, kidnapped by someone else or attacked or hurt. A foreigner who didn't speak the language, who was a, yes. a, 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 an escaped slave, managed to walk all the way across Ireland, and there yes. was in fact a boat. That he was yes. able to get on. He was a big illegal immigrant. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> anyone would have known by just looking at him, you'd have known that um, he was he was not where he was supposed to be. Somehow he got it. He got there. He was reunited with his family. A number of years later, Patrick is asleep and he hears another voice. And the voice says to him, you have to go back to Ireland and you have to bring the message of Christianity to Ireland, to your captors. They have to be liberated from their, their ancient, 
their, 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 their pagan ways. And you must go and baptize them and tell them about this new story, this new story of uh, the divine yeah, and uh, the divine becoming human, you see. And so he left his family and took a boat back to Ireland, the place that he had uh, he had just managed to escape. And off he went. He had these this magical mystery tour, the psychedelic trip around Ireland. <laughs> and, and that's really where the mythologies come in, you know. And yeah. there's all these cool yeah. mythological stories about Patrick going around um, converting the 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 chieftains of of Ireland because I, Ireland didn't have one central power structure there was a whole, all these different chieftains so he went around to all of them and uh, converted them all and and there's all these cool stories uh, of him wandering around Ireland and shape shifting and you know the door, you know <laughs> the, the doors the, the 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 great doors of the gates of of the castles being blown open you know by the power of his his preaching and um, <laughs> he was, he was unstoppable. You know, this message could not be stopped. It could not be held back. And, uh, and the, uh, and the message, yeah. like I, I, maybe one other thing I want to throw in here, because there's a part of me that, that likes to, to sort of distance myself from conventional religion. And, mm-hmm. and there's a way in which uh, I experienced sort of St. Patrick, like being sort of absorbed by that, but he was, Yes, he was uh, working with a culture that was not Christian. And, and, you know, there's there's complexities we could explore around that. But he was essentially welcomed very deeply as as someone who understood uh, the people of those lands in a way that no other Christian missionary had ever even come close to. Uh, And he was also considered quite radical by the, by many more sort of staid conservative orthodox aspects of the church. So this, like this kind of like mystical Christian sort of, I just, yeah, she was doing something, there was something there that was so potent that just didn't show up in, in other, other intersections of kind of this ancient and more emergent religion. Absolutely. And then of course the story has been over the centuries, every century, every decade, so you could say has uh, re um, what's the word uh, where you uh, co-opt. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I, which I'm doing now myself. Yeah. I'm co-opting yeah. Patrick now myself. So, 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 so we have 1500 years of different organizations at different times, co-opting the story mm. of this guy. Yeah. Mm. But I think you're hitting on one of the, um, the facts, which is that this foreigner came to Ireland. Uh, he, he probably learned how to speak the language you see, having been a slave yeah. there. So he was a, he understood the culture. But there was no, there, there was this beginning of this extraordinary relationship between Celtic, the Celtic ideology and the Christian story. And we can tell from the archaeological historical record, there was no conquest that brought Christianity to Ireland. It was um, assumed by the Celtic Druid culture mm. actually mm. took on this uh, new Christian story. And for some reason, the Celtic uh, spirituality saw this Christian story as the apotheosis of itself, in a sense. Mm. They were like, yes, mm. this is this is what we've been talking about. Yeah. Mm. This Jesus figure, this human, this, this, this God made man. That's what we're talking about. And as well, the Trinity was very important. That idea of there being a uh, 
a God above and then this mortal one below and then this connection between the two, mm. the Holy Spirit, this mm. triad, this mm. the, the triple aspect of the divine, of the, the, the nature of the world. And so Patrick is always seen holding a shamrock with three leaves. Mm. And that represents that Patrick and Celtic culture connected around the Trinity, the, 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 the triune nature of, 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 of life. Yeah. And it put into place this extraordinary 500, maybe 600 year period, which was known as the golden age of Irish history, this Irish Celtic Christian culture that became the repository of all of the ancient learning as the Roman Empire started to collapse. Mm. And as mm. Europe was hurled into that period known as the Dark Ages in Ireland, uh, Ireland flourished as this storehouse of ancient knowledge and art and philosophy and learning. Yeah. During that period of time. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Boy, I, uh, I feel really happy for the, your students who will get to deepen into that, that story in whatever ways it's true and, and, and in whatever ways you're quote unquote co-opting it. There's just such, <laughs> there's such vibrancy and depth and I'm really in touch with the, the lineage, the sort of deep time that you're, you, you have invoked for me repeatedly in this conversation and that I sense your your uh, school invokes, and I'm just really, really grateful for that right now. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe is there a, a song or a poem or something is. that might uh, bring us I to a close? There's a great old song here. And this is one of these traditional songs that has within it uh, the great antidote to um, feeling solitary or isolated or uh, lacking a sense of purpose in our lives, which come as a necessary, a necessary way of being when we're entering into new, new horizons. So this this song uh, tells us how to do that um, with the greatest possible of grace, mm. and it is uh, it's in it's in the English language, but on a very old melody, and we share it with our Scottish. Scottish Celtic cousins as well too um, and the song is a it's an invitation, it's a question the question is will you go, will you go lassie go mm. and mm. it says we'll, we'll all go together yeah. Yeah. to pluck wild mountain thyme all around the blooming heather and thyme is the herb the herb thyme and heather are, have all sorts of very powerful medicinal and healing qualities. So it's talking about the power of the natural world, the importance of the natural world, getting out into the natural world, but not doing it on your own. We have to all do it together, you see. And then there's nothing, there's nothing that we cannot uh, overcome if we have these, mm. these, uh, mm. these in our bag. Yeah. Mm. And the trees are sweetly blooming And the wild mountain time 
grows around the blooming heather. Will you go, lassie? Go, and we'll all go together to pluck wild mountain thyme all around the blooming heather. Will you go? I will build my love a bower beneath yon pure and crystal fountain, and on it I will lay all the flowers. Of the mountain, will ye go, lassie? Go, and we'll all go together to pluck wild mountain thyme all around the blue. If my true love were gone, I would surely find another where the wild mountain time. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Andy. Thank you to all your listeners out there. And uh, yeah, look forward to being in touch again soon. Yeah, I am. I'm not going to get the line quite right, but uh, for a few minutes, more or less, my body is blazing <laughs> with happiness. 
right now and just really <laughs> feel blessed to be with you Lovely. today. You too. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Sirqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.